0: Welcome to the Rob Seco Field Ready Podcast with your host Jim Robinson. Welcome to the Field Ready Podcast. I'm the guest host this morning. My name is Wayne Fithy and I'm the agronomy manager at Rob Seco, and I'm very happy to uh, be able to speak to you this morning on our Field Ready Podcast. I, as I as I you know think about what you're doing right now and what's going on in the field, it's a great time to be managing weeds with post-emergence weed applications. And uh, really, it's active both in corn and soybeans. And so a lot of people are out there thinking about weeds or will be in the next few weeks. And uh, one of the things that we always need to think about is wind speed when we make applications uh, of of herbicides in crop. We also have to think about sensitive areas and susceptible crops. If uh, we have those around and how are we going to manage that application so that we get the herbicide where we want it to control the weeds, and we don't get any of the herbicide where we don't want it, where we could cause problems or damage plants that we didn't want to damage. And, of course, the best place for all of this type of information is the herbicide label. So if you're making an application, follow that herbicide label. It'll tell tell about any kinds of restrictions that the pro- product might have that might help you guide your decisions in making that application. But I think one of the things that we really... Oftentimes, miss is uh, is the impact of wind speed and wind direction in that application. Because we have to think about drift. Is there enough wind that it's going to move that herbicide off of the area where we want it to have? And that would be drift. And the labels will tell you that uh, depending on the product, and this is especially uh, true if you have growth regulators or or a uh, a non-selective herbicide, because they have a high tendency to cause damage to uh, surrounding plants, is that you need to have a wind that's greater than 3 miles an hour and less than either 10 or 15 miles an hour, depending on the product. And uh, if, that, if that wind is in that 3 to 10 mile range or that 3 to 15 mile range, uh, in miles per hour that is then you have a high likelihood of that herbicide application staying where you wanted to put it. And, of course, nozzles and pressure can play a role, but I, I don't think I'm going to talk about nozzles and pressures in the podcast this morning because there are a lot of options, and uh, it, it would get very detail-oriented and probably and get a little beyond... Maybe my comfort level. So if you have questions on that, give us a call at Rob Seco. We can talk to you about uh, nozzles and pressure packages. Uh, We'll do that outside of the podcast. But again, back to this drift issue. So we want to have some wind. But we don't want to have so much wind that it's going to carry that herbicide off of the target where we're trying to get it to lay down. And the reason we want some wind, and this is especially true for applying a growth regulator type herbicide, is we have to have a little bit of wind to get that herbicide to stay on the leaf surface when we put it there. So, so it, we, we have pressure of course and we have droplet size and you would think well that pressure and that droplet size that's going to be enough to stick that herbicide right down on that leaf but in actuality there's a little bit of a kind of a bounce back up and a little bit of air movement off of that canopy all the time and if you don't have a little bit of wind it won't stay where you put it so that's how volatility happens uh, we, we say if you don't have a three-mile-an-hour wind, at least a three-mile-an-hour wind, then you have inversion. And inversion is movement of air up off of the soil surface and the plant canopy back up into the atmosphere. And, and once herbicides volatilize off the surface, so in a no-wind situation they can move a very long distance depending on how high they get and how much upper air current there is. They can move miles and miles. So we want to make sure that we have just a little bit of wind so that we avoid that volatility problem associated with inversion. So always remember, i got to have at least three miles an hour or my pressure and my nozzle, my droplet size isn't going to be enough to get that herbicide to stay where I want to put it. And, of course, if it doesn't stay where we want to put it, you're probably also not going to get the weed control you want. So the other the other area that I think we really need to pay attention to is sensitive areas and susceptible crops. So a sensitive area I always think of a tree stand, you know, or a homestead, so where somebody lives, they're going to have a lot of plants in there that that probably are going to have uh, an adverse reaction to the to the herbicides that we're putting on for weed control now we. Might be some weeds there, too, but they, we better let them take care of those weeds in another way, right? So, so let's think about those sensitive areas. So anything that's kind of a native area, so a tree stand, uh, uh, anything that's a natural environment, so a lot of times road ditches would, would represent that kind of an area. Um, and any time we have a, a sensitive area, we need to think about wind direction, and we need to think about winds. Of course, if we got any wind going toward in a sensitive area, then we, we either have a do-not spray if we have a growth regulator in there, or we need to have a buffer strip. And the buffer strip would depend on the product that you're using. And the other one is susceptible crop. So if we have a crop that could be damaged by that herbicide application, then again, we have to think about wind direction. And if wind is moving toward that susceptible crop, that's a do-not spray. And if if the wind is a moving away from the crop, we may or may not need to put in a buffer strip depending on the product. And again, read and follow those label instructions as uh, those will help you understand uh, the specific dynamics of these sensitive areas in these susceptible crops. So let's take the susceptible crop discussion a little bit further in regards to soybeans. So if, if I'm spraying list soybeans, uh, then I do have to uh, I do have to worry about things like grapes and tomatoes, but I don't have to worry about soybeans or corn. If I'm spraying uh, if I'm spraying those enlist soybeans with enlist one that is, or an enlist tank mix with glyphosate or glufosinate. Now, if I have extend beans and I'm using an extend to max type or a dicamba type product, then somebody's enlist beans or somebody's. Regular Roundup Ready to Yield beans would be a susceptible crop, so I would have to treat that adjacent soybean field as a susceptible crop, and uh, that's a key distinction I think between the labels for uh, for extend Extend type products like dicamba containing products and the Enlist products. Oftentimes, after an application, I have. Uh, I have inquiries. Farmers will call me, or, or, uh, our, our sales folks will call me, and they'll say, hey, my beans are looking a little bit funny, and uh, I'm kind of wondering what's going on here. And when I go out and look at a field in that kind of a situation, the first thing I look at is, is there a pattern uh, which would which would cause me to think maybe drift. If there is not a pattern, it's probably volatility related, but before I, I guess I I jumped the gun a little bit so first thing I look at is growing points and uh, there is a difference between how extend and enlist behave uh, once they get on a susceptible crop so if you have enlist beans and a dicamba type product uh, was drifted or or volatilized and came across that crop it's going to accumulate it's going to enter that plant and it's going to go right to the growing point. So the primary damage isn't going to show up right away. It's going to show up in 10 days, two weeks, and you'll just have odd looking cupped abnormal growth coming off of those newest leaves and the lower part of the canopy could look pretty normal. So let's look at the other side. If we had an enlist type product and and it did happen to move a little bit, maybe a little bit of drift onto some extend beans. Well, what am I going to look at then? Now, 2,4-D, the Enlist product, doesn't move in the plant the same way, so it does not accumulate in those growing points. So you will see the leaves that were exposed at the time of the application, those newest leaves that are just starting to expand would be the ones that would have some abnormal growth, and they get a little bit more of a strapping look. So instead of being cupped, they're... They're bumpy, we call it rugose, so they're, they're, they would be linear rather than oval and very bumpy, uh, almost like an alligator head or an alligator strapping is uh, the, the best way to describe that. Uh, instead of a normal nice round leaf, we got something that looks a little bit like an alligator head. And that's the big distinction between those two crops in terms of the damage they cause. So 2,4-D doesn't cause a lingering effect in soybeans, which is why... Soybeans are not a susceptible crop on the Enlist label, whereas dicamba, beans are very sensitive to a dicamba-type product, so an extend to Max or any of the dicamba products that move over a soybean crop, they'll move into that growing point, and they'll keep that crop stunted for a while now. One of the things we've learned over the last several years is that it doesn't, you know, damage from an, a dicamba-type product to soybeans doesn't prevent you from having a crop. And that may disappoint you in terms of the potential of that crop not being achieved. But but the plants do tend to hang on and start to kind of grow out of it. And later in the season, they'll go ahead and pot up and we'll get some yield at least. So a lot of times it's uh, it's very emotional, but it's it's not a crop that's completely gone. It's a crop that's hurt, but is going to go ahead and and, uh, make some grain for us. So that's uh, kind of things to think about with post-emerge herbicide applications in both corn and soybeans. Again, remember, we need to think about wind speed. We need to think about wind direction. We need to always think about sensitive areas and susceptible crops. And if we do happen to have some movement, then we want to look at where where did that, uh, where is that damage at in that canopy? If it's in the growing points, It's most likely involving dicamba. If it's on leaves that are further down from the growing point, it's likely to be involving a a 2,4-D type product. So until next time, this is Wayne Fithian, agronomy manager at Rob Seco, and stay field ready. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Rob Seco Field Ready Podcast. Join us next time to be field ready. A Huda Media Production.